It's the Tiltcast, episode 462. Roll them bones. And this week, guys, we talk some tabletop gaming. Two. Witcher 3, Two. Elite Dangerous, Arbor. The Outer Worlds, and Monster Train. Zero. Stay tuned. Thacko. It's about damn time. Oh. Uh, welcome to the Tiltcast. It's an M-rated show. Getting that out of the way, I'm Nas. I'm Jason. I'm Grumpy. Rusty. And together you're going to get about an indeterminate amount of minutes of bullshit. Get some, some games, some news. Get it out there. Maybe a game. Get it out Maybe. There. Maybe a game. Maybe. Maybe. Been, we just... I don't want to go into all the life things that have happened, but it's just been... It's been life, dude. There's yeah. been a lot of life things. I mean... I mean, it was an immediate toke on the fucking vape right there because it was like life. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying like, you know, we had... He had his anniversary. I had Jess in town. I'm going to have Jess in town again tomorrow. It's uh, it's actually Friday. Um, the... April 23rd at 9.24 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Three days after Doge Day. Yeah. And <laughs> we uh, normally record on Saturday. We would have normally recorded last week, but we just had too much going on. But we did play a game or two. Yes. During some, the- some Somewhat. Man, I had a hard time figuring one out, though. Holy shit. But, yeah, it's just been, been interesting. And sometimes... At 400 plus episodes, we're probably going to take a break from time to time. Yeah, yes. Well, especially when life happens. Fuck. I mean, you, you just can't control that. And we do actually have to adult sometimes. And then sometimes we just don't feel like doing fuck all. <laughs> I yeah. mean. Well, but, and I mean, let's be real here, guys. We're one of very few podcasts that actually record, produce, and release on a weekly basis. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot um, of that are bi-weekly or monthly. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, there's so. only a handful. There's not many gaming podcasts that are this long, except for Giant Beast and Giant Bomb. Yeah. yeah. And they have a whole production the, group. The, yeah, the the people who are behind the fucking microphones are not the ones that are yeah. fucking editing this well, shit. <laughs> there is one that does a lot of the editing. Okay, all right, yeah, I guess. But, but and they're both they've got one Jan's on the show now, which is yeah. the editor for Giant Bomb. Oh well, there you go. But so again, they have an editor and they have people that work for that stuff for them. Right. Um we don't and we don't get any money. We don't have Patreon or nothing. The only other show I can think of that does it weekly that we regularly interact with is TVGP. Uh, but it is an hour show. And they do all kinds of great things. They do. So, and they have, you know, they have people that are on this show sometimes. Yes. So, um, <laughs> the only show they get to curse on. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you need a clean podcast list around to, uh, around the kids, there you go, TVGP. There you go. They do <laughs> clean things. <laughs> Very clean. Baby wipes. Yeah. Um <laughs> That being said, um, Jason, me and you were talking about something right before the show, before Rusty came over, that I thought was pretty interesting. You said you were playing D&D with your kids. I was. We what? Yes. We what? You were playing- I brought the evidence. Oh, hold on a I second. can hear the dice sounds. Yep. Oh, yeah. Every uh, wait, role wait, player yeah. has heard that. Yes. Um, These are the cutest little dice ever. Basically, uh... 
yeah, it started. Um, I, like I thought blue marble. That's nice. Just kind of as a thing, because in general, uh, my six-year-old has ADHD, so you know, keeping him engaged in most things that don't involve a screen, uh, especially when it comes to like board games or card games, are kind of a stretch. I I can see that. Ooh, so marble green, cool. Uh, oh. so. I thought there's your, maybe, there's your ASMR right there. Yeah. Maybe just maybe if um, one of the great beauties of fifth edition D and D as I, as I peruse the core books, those are nice dice, aren't they? Well, yeah, they're, they're kind of like a, <laughs> My ADD. A, a marble. This is a marble purple and I like purple. I don't know what Do I see the red. The red. Oh, don't, don't, don't. Oh, no, the don't table do will handle it. Dumb table. Jesus Christ. Anyway, yes, continue. Um. So anyway, one of the beauties of 5e is they really made it really easy to take a lot of the systems and dumb it down and simplify it. But also, I did some custom things just to try it with the kids, introduce them to just the storytelling part and, like, engagements and see if maybe it wasn't something we could do together that they would all engage with. Do you, um, so, it, so did you base the story on one of the books or did you create a story? No. So I created a story. Good. So I took a couple of the, uh, show shows that they like to watch on, uh, on Netflix and on Disney plus on a regular basis. Uh, um, one called Kipo and and the Wonder Beasts, and another one called Gravity Falls. Both are kind of science is magic based kind of shows. That kind of makes sense. Um, so, um, plus, I mean, they have really engaging characters for the kids to interact with, etc. Right. And I'm sure you've watched um, a lot of it with the kids at this point to understand absolutely. the show. Absolutely. He knows all about this shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to know what your kids are watching. Yeah, of it, course. As far as I feel about it, there are a lot of parents that just let their kids go. I'm not one of them. <laughs> so how many episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants have you watched? None. Good. That That was the first rule I set when they moved in with us. SpongeBob SquarePants does not exist. <laughs> well, they're so young, like, unless they uh, discovered on their own, they're not going to know. What's he, the SpongeBob thing? Well, Marley already knew about it because, you know. Right. Marley's quite a bit older. So. <laughs> See, back in my they, day, it was Barney that didn't exist. Right. <laughs> yeah, but he came out when we were teenagers. Um, so. I created kind of a custom, like, first engagement for them a couple weeks ago, just to, a couple Wednesdays ago, just to try it out to see whether or not. So, basically, I created the characters for them. Um, right. You know, held their character sheets, etc. And what I did with them was, as the storyteller, instead of... um you know, trying to make them 
100% use their imaginations on what they would do with a situation. Like, for example, when we got into dialogue and combat, I'd just tell them. So you could say this or this, or you could do this, this, or this. You know. So instead of saying, what, what do you want to eat? You said, we have French toast, cereal, and eggs, which is exactly. it going to be? Which is the way that you... D&D training wheels. Basically. Yes. Yeah, but with... Full-on training wheels. But with... I will say, um, if, if you give a kid no choice, it will take them forever to come up with a choice. Right. Exactly. Um, and it, and it, and they still felt really engaged. And, you know, I'd still ask them, like, for example, in, in the one combat engagement we did, you know, gave, gave the youngest choices and then asked him. Okay, what would that look like? So they can kind of describe just, the set piece. Just yeah. to see, you know, how he would describe uh, the combat action. Right. How do, it would go down. I do a backflip and, and then a high kick and yeah. I kick him in the jaw. Well, of course. Of course, with him, it was a little bit more visually animated. You know, he's like, I'm just going to run at him. And hit him really hard, like, yeah, you know, and just throwing his fist out there because, you know, he's six. Nice. Um, but things like that. Um, and, you know, had them roll their own dice and. Because that's the interactive part. I mean, you want, right. I mean, everybody, yeah. everybody who plays, everybody wants to who plays wants to roll dice, right? Right. Um, but I also made it. Ultra simplified in that, for example, anything above a ten was an was a success. Oh, okay. So you basically, yeah. Um, he, he didn't want him to just fail the whole time. He didn't want to do a party wipe all the uh, at, on the first session, of course. Exactly. Well, and also, I didn't want it to be hard. I didn't want there to be so many failures. That the younger two became disengaged from everything. I mean, you know, you're being mean to me. You're beating me up. Right, right. You know. Yeah, and if if it's too but, hard, they're not going to be engaged with that the yeah. same way we might be. But then, of course, I kept my own dice rolls as a storyteller. Normal, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That does not describe my first experience with D&D. So, but you weren't six. I wasn't six, no. Um, I, was, I was like 21. I was, fuck, I'm now having to think, like 13 or 14. I start saying I was 12. Uh, it's like, it was not immediate. I didn't get into it immediately. Um, well, when we were like to understand this and for anybody listening in their thirties and older, there was a stigma around D and D and lived in the religious South. And so my parents thought it was like super evil. So I didn't know really much about it until I was well into my, well, I say well into my twenties. I was about 21 and I had a friend that said, Hey, let's play D and D. Right. My friend Dave, that's been on the show a couple of times. Right. Uh, I was like, okay, I've never played it. He's like, you've never played D&D? &D? No. No. And I've actually never played a 
proper campaign because Dave is a storyteller and he comes up with his own game. So our first game were mutants with D&D four roles, I think was what it was. So there's the rule book, right? But he comes up with a custom campaign. We were all characters with powers and he does this crazy thing to get characters rolling faster by saying, all right, you roll this, this is power A, you roll this, this is power B, you roll this, this is power C. And you kind of get a random roll, basically, right? Well, yeah. And then he does a thing now where he all of the NPCs are playable in his story. And you roll to get a character sheet, because we only play two or three times a year. You roll to get a character sheet, and that's the character you have to play. It's already pre-made. Everything's done. There is nothing for you to do um, other than reallocate skills in certain areas. So you can reallocate the points for the skill type, but you can't pick necessarily new skills. Okay. And you can gain new skills as you go, but it just keeps that part of it because when you play, we've played a lot of different games and there have been times when we had more time. We used to play it weekly where it would take, you know, when you get a character, it's an hour a person figuring it out what you want. And nowadays we've got, one Saturday every four to six months that we can play all at the same time. And when we do that, if we have a character death, we don't want to spend that much time doing it. We want to just be like, all right, you roll a 31. That's this character on my deal. Here's the sheet. Let me pull out of my binder. Okay. That's cool. And so it's just bam, bam. You got a character. All right, let's keep going. Here's the backstory. It's already written out. It does a lot of work, a lot of prep work, but we've been running the same game now for about five years. Yeah, so he's probably going to find her full. Oh, yeah, and he just plays with it as he can to get things done. He might spend an hour here and there throughout those several months coming up for stuff that he wants to do on the campaign, and then we've... I mean, good dungeon masters do that, though. Dave's... Dave is... They have contingencies. I've got a friend of mine that... Contingencies planned out. Our friend Michael... Yep. Um, writes campaigns for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and he's Dave's on par with him. I'm just going to say that. Like, yeah, Michael's excellent. Um, and he's, I think he's running a channel right now. I'd have to see. Yeah, but, he is. He is. But, um, Dave's on par with him and the level of creativity and the ability to change the situation on the fly when he's played with us for so long. He knows what kind of dumb shit comes up that we're going to throw at him, and he's just able to adapt on the fly every single time. I mean, And again, able to keep us engaged to a point where, like, there are times when he rolls something and we know yeah. that he basically just wiped the party, and then he'll alter the situation because, like, especially with our limited time frame, right, like, a complete party wipe would just be game changing for us, right? Like he'll come up with an escape scenario or something like that on the fly where maybe I'm going to be down to two hit points, right? And then I'm going to have to alter my tactics significantly for any other encounter to where I've got to really play with my build, so to speak. Yeah. I I had. Well, and again, the a good dungeon master will do that. They'll not necessarily try to drive everyone down the dungeon master's job is street. not to kill people. The dungeon master's job is to adapt his story, his game, to what the players want to do and keep them engaged. Because ultimately, 
that's where the best game is at. Yeah, and it can't be at our level. It can't be too easy, right? Like it's got to feel like you got by by the skin of your teeth sometimes. But there has to be some success in each game session. If it's just an absolute failure, I mean, I know part of the, a large part of that is on the party, but also the the dungeon master's ability to adapt. Like D and D is essentially the best roguelike you can ever play. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, one of the uh, I was playing a campaign with somebody, uh, and the dungeon master actually had a you know had a house rule uh, where it was. If you're in a bad, if if he rolls, you know, a random encounter and the encounter goes bad, like it's starting to go fucking south. People are starting to lose a lot more hit points than they expected. Um, the house rule was, um, it, it was kind of born out of like the idea from like, uh, from uh, from high high like the the dark fantasy style, um, almost kind of like a Conan. Right. Right. So you, what what it was is or that like once you 40 K dark heresy, that right. Really dark noir type stuff. The yeah. the idea was is that or after dark, after you get to a point, like once you get to a point, you're going to have a hero moment. And it's kind of like that last flare of a hero just before they like take mortal wounds. So if the situation, you know, if the situation warranted it and something was going to happen to say one of the party that one person in that party would then just get like he he would have a, a situation where he could like do three or four fucking actions like really quick and he could ignore damage like just go in fucking mow as many things down as possible but afterwards he's gonna be mortally wounded and completely out like a big flare moment you know situation and it was you knew the fucking, you know, combat encounter was bad when you got, like, if there was four people around the table, if you had two of those hero moments happen in an encounter, you got two of your guys that are going to basically die, <laughs> you know? But it was sometimes the random encounters kind of suck because you can't really fully control a truly random encounter. And the the DM would find ways around like a whole party going down. Like it's still possible to revive these guys. They're not completely dead. It's not like their head severed or something like that, but it's like he's fucking holding on to his side, holding his guts in situation, you know? Right. Right. But he's still able to do a couple of one cool thing. Right. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting take on like, instead of having, a a shitty situation happen where everybody sits down for another fucking hour and rolls new characters because nobody wants to fucking deal with that. That's basically the end of the play night, you know? Um, instead of having that, have something that kind of pushes you through and then you have to deal with the consequences of that afterwards. It was, uh, it was, it was very interesting. And I was, this same guy was also who introduced me to and, and allowed me to roll my first character and uh, have my first character death in the same night. Yay. First day playing D&D, spent two hours rolling a fucking character, died in 15 minutes. Uh, that's Because giant ha- boulders happen. Well, it wasn't that. I, it, I well, kind, the, kind of, kind of. I, I mean, because you always start, you know, well, most trope startings is in a tavern, of course. Yeah. 
Um, and my character, I was, you know, had thrown together a really, you know, really quick backstory, but basically he thought he was a charmer. Uh, and, uh, he, he was for 15 minutes. He just charmed the wrong thing. He, uh, at the moment I was playing, of course, early teenager, right? I didn't envision exactly what a troll ogress would look like, <laughs> but there was a troll ogress around the tavern and uh, I charmed it and according to uh according to Rowan on Viva La Dirt League. Yeah. That's a fun time. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a uh, death my snoo snoo. <laughs> it was my my character my character was uh put down to zero hit points had a broken pelvis uh and uh and, and there there wasn't anybody that could treat his wounds oh. <laughs> uh, of course I was, he wasn't well he wasn't found for another six hours after uh, this, so. I was starting to <laughs> my head was starting to go more along the lines of uh his head got completely crushed in between her legs or some shit. It was it was a broken pelvis. <laughs> N- never let a troll ogress have control. Uh, is what I learned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you done fucked up, son. It was exactly that. <laughs> um but he you know, but that experience actually taught me a lot of really interesting lessons. First, don't fuck with troll ogresses and don't fuck them. Uh and B uh, was, um, you know, I got really good at rolling characters at that point because I had just gone through two hours of rolling a character and I'm like, okay, maybe a wizard character at basically level zero with three hit points is not enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, cause of course I didn't get a full, a uh, good, you know, D four roll. I could have started with one hit point. This uh, is true. Which would make me basically four times weaker than a goblin. <laughs> Tis true. Um, sneeze in my direction and I fell over situation. It was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting situation. I learned enough about the game when I, you know, when I was playing it, you know, really early on from that guy. Uh, and he had told me about the guy he learned it from. And I actually went over to his place and his place was basically like if you could imagine what an old DM would look like, like the the old wizard style, like fucking wizard beard. Like the grumpy neck beard tabletop. No, no this was – he had a full-on white wizard beard. It was that guy. He was like the wizard, only he was dressed in street clothes. You know, it was – he didn't have the pointy hat and the fucking robes, but, man, if you put him in a pointy hat and robes, he would look like Merlin. That guy – Merlin in the country. That guy had a house entirely full of board games and D&D books. Like, when I'm, when I'm talking full, I mean almost hoarder level full. He had stacks of books. Going all along the walls in his hallways and shit like that. He basically, it was 
so much paper that when his house actually did burn down, because, I mean, you've got that much flammable material inside, uh, something's bound to happen. It did burn down, which was a really sad day. He survived it, but none of his books did. Um, oh, and a lot of those books are hard to come by. Oh, he had first editions oh. of everything. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that that's one thing I will say. Initially... One thing I learned out of the whole experience is initially when 5th edition came out several years ago, I was like, why Wizards of the Coast? Y'all already ruined it with 4th edition. Why? 5th isn't bad. 5th isn't bad. 5th fixes things. Yeah, 5th isn't bad. 5th feels like what they tried to do with 3rd edition, but they didn't quite get there. Yeah, well... After reading the core books. But what anyway. Was, what was the was big thing wrong time. with fourth edition? Oh, shit. Um, they tried to make it like a video game on paper. Yeah. To it, oversimplifying the, oversimplifying all of the issues with it. They tried to make it like a computer RPG on paper. Yeah. To draw in the MMO crowd. Yeah. So I must have been playing this prior to fourth edition then. It was uh yeah, when when we grew up playing it was all second edition, third edition. Second edition. It was A D and D. Yeah. A D and D is what 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 was around. Well when no, I was if playing. he was picking it up when he was twenty one, it, it might was be third edition. Third maybe. or three point. I don't know. 5. Do you remember Thaco? No, this like I said, I we never used books. I'm just trying to remember what rule set it was using. Uh, did, Probably when you, when three you, or three. When you five. rolled a hit, did you roll a d20? <laughs> uh, I think so. Okay, because I mean that's kind of the 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 thing. First and second edition had Thaco, which was you know two hit armor class zero, um, and you had to roll to hit and basically compare your role versus the armor class of, uh, of the, uh, enemy that you were fighting. And it had and took into account bonuses and whether it was a sneak attack and, you know, shit like that to add to that. But basically there was some, you know, some enemies that had an armor class of 20 plus, which means you would have to roll a natural 20 to be able to hit it. And, if you had bonuses, that was, you know, like yeah. some dragons were like that, you know, mm-hmm. where they had a really high armor class and you had to actually roll really good to actually some hit Some demons them. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, depending on what it was, usually to hit, we had a modifier to hit based on like, I think our decks was our modifier to hit. Yeah. And those and modifiers so, are. Right. So you got a plus three or something like that to hit on a D20, and then you factored in armor, right? So let's say they had six armor, and then I had a plus three to hit. So So that's one thing fourth edition kind of took out, was there wasn't that having to roll higher than the armor class. It was was more of a success roll, wasn't it? Yes, it it was a success roll. It might be that the damage was affected by armor instead of the hit. Yeah. Yeah. 5e... Goes back to Thaco. Yeah. Uh, I think our strength versus armor plus whatever type of yeah. damage type it for, was has made sense. So, like, for, I think blunt was like what we use versus heavy yeah, armor and right. stuff like that. Yeah. Fourth edition kind of uh, made it a little bit more like a, a 
like a, a white wolf or riffs where it's to hit. Right. And then your success roll and then you do damage. And yeah. then you do damage. Yeah. Which I'm I Okay, mean, well that's what we were doing. It was wolf. to hit and then it was roll for damage depending okay. on well, I mean, it was the same way either. before. You know, yeah. for Thaco you still rolled for a Thaco and then you uh, and if you hit you rolled damage. Uh it was just based off of the enemy's armor class. Uh, so armor class to hit and then you're your damage goes directly to their damage. It doesn't have soaked through their armor first. Right. It was yeah, ours was armor class after after you rolled damage. That's okay. fourth edition. Yeah, you're yeah. yeah. So it's it's fine. I, I mean, mean, it's six to one, half a dozen to the other. There are some people that really like it. I didn't. Well, I kind of actually liked the uh, the White Wolf version of uh, of we, to hitting White Wolf is fun, but that's because White Wolf is, is more story sent yeah. driven. Yeah, I think where we would run into issues, I say issues like we might hit the way that he had it set up with our powers or whatever we had abilities. Right, it was probably one in three rolls was a hit, but. Damage wise, sometimes it was like massive damage. Right. Sometimes it was total trash. Right. Because I was rolling a, you know, it could be two d ten, but most of the time we're talking like two d four. Right. Versus six armor, which is two damage. That's why if, I if like, you roll high, yeah. <laughs> that's why I love barbarian. You could roll barbarian and carry a frying pan, and if you're in rage. It doesn't freaking matter. Oh, dude. If you hit, you're destroying something. <laughs> My very second character never got to barbarian level. He would just start off as like a, a level one warrior, right? But I uh, uh, very, very stupidly uh, lost my weapon during the fight. Uh, and I remember this very clearly. The, uh, I was, we were fighting goblins, like just a, you know, a pack of goblins, random encounter situation, uh, lost my weapon, um, and it was a bad roll. So I stuck one, but it's stuck in it and it would take a turn to get it out. And I said, fuck that shit. And I walked, you know, but I got attacked by three more goblins, me being the guy that just basically skewered one of their buddies, right? Uh, I didn't have a weapon a, a weapon close at hand, but I did have a tree close at hand. So what I did was I went, grabbed the tree, did a strength roll to see if I could pull the tree backward, like pull the branch backwards, and then let go. Uh, and the kind of tree that was that was used was kind of like a yew tree, like it had bend to it, like it could it could hold without snapping. Uh, and, um, I rolled a 20 on the, the attack and it hit all three goblins square in the chest with this thing and off they went. <laughs> this reminds me when we were playing vampire. No, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rusty pulls a similar move. I threw my weapons, uh, throwing swords, swords, people. Swords. Uh, I because he could not get close to the holy. Knight. I didn't have daggers. Uh, Misses with both. Yeah, I was pissed. Decides to pick up his horse, 
and chuck it at said oncoming knights <laughs> because he I, he I, was a bruja and he could do it. I went into a bruja rage after losing both of my weapons to my own stupidity. Couldn't get close to the fucking guy because he had a holy relic in his hand. Sun was coming up. Or no, no, he was actually conjuring the sun. Yeah. With the holy relic trying to get rid of us. Uh, and uh, and I ne- we needed to get rid of that holy re- – or get that holy relic out of his hands uh, so that he couldn't, like, bring the sun up. Uh, I had to grapple my horse, which was successful. So in my mind, I grabbed one leg, then grabbed another leg. And then I did a fucking like shot put fucking twirl and was swinging the fucking horse like a shot put and threw the horse and hit. But not only did I hit the guy holding the relic, but I also hit the horses of the knights that was with them. Knocking them all off of their fucking mounts and killing like some, some, but yeah, what ended up happening was I was uh, given a new moniker after that. He got called horse chucker the rest of the game. Uh, uh, for, you know, because vampires are long lived, that name stuck for hundreds of years. Like, so. <laughs> before we stopped playing, we were about to go into modern nights yes. from Dark Ages. Well, we were working towards that point. And he still had the moniker. Yeah. Yeah. Devin Horsechucker. So that, that's, our, that's our tabletop rant. <laughs> um, uh, tabletop's fun, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still love tabletop. All, all forms of it. There are games I like more than others, but. All forms of tabletop can be fun with the right group. I played Rifts, and that was really great, too, with a dude that would get pissed off at his players every so often and just drop pyramids on them. Um, (laughs) And the Rift opens up, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. Yeah, avoid that. (laughs) Fucking roll the dodge. Um, (laughs) But I also... uh, basically just kept playing the witcher 3 all week you were playing witcher Witcher. yeah Yeah, but you figured out how to move your xbox save over to your pc i did find a way to convert the file you are crazy i am but it allowed me to start new game plus on steam with a modded witcher game which is great that's why you were going off and online all the time is you were Adding mods. I told you he was adding mods. Yeah, I, we were watching Actually, you play and just say so that your one, your ID is playing The Witcher. It felt like one, about every once an hour. What a couple days last week, I actually spent more time uh, repairing mods than um, than playing because for whatever reason, one of them decided to break. And figuring out exactly which one it was was kind of a chore. But I have no actual, like, ability enhancing mods or anything like that. It's all cosmetics. But I love it. Playing Witcher on Ultra is great. Um, like, one really cool mod is uh, you can actually get uh, the cloak from... Uh, 
from like the cutscenes. Oh, okay, yeah. But there's another mod that will auto hide your weapons when they're not a not in use. They're still equipped, but I don't know, hides man. them from view. I like having the dual swords on my back, man. That's I mean. Wearing the cloak's pretty cool. I guess. I guess. Whole hood up thing. Eh, I guess. You can also take the hood down. Whatever. <laughs> um. So, been, still been playing a lot of that. Uh, trying to make it all the way, trying to make it all the way through the uh, DLC. Might reinstall the Elite Dangerous too, but, uh yeah you could i could it's worth it i'm just gonna say that i mean i walked in on justin playing it and i was like <sighs> fucker you could have warned somebody <laughs> you could have looked at you what other people were playing <laughs> yeah because we've literally been doing that for two weeks no it hasn't been well it hasn't it's, been two weeks it has it has not it totally has at it, least a week and a half where's the time gone <laughs> Well, says the guy that plays it on 10-hour binges. Where's the time gone? I, honestly. I mean, I did play something else. I, let's go into the something else. We will be talking Elite Dangerous. That's for damn sure. But like, I I played some Monster Train. Monster Train? Yeah, okay. it had a DLC that dropped, and then I played uh, Outer Worlds. Um, I did too. Yeah, you finished the base campaign, and then I got stuck. So the newest DLC, the murder mystery one, Murder on Iridanos or something like that. Yeah. Um, is kind of buggy as fuck right now. So it has something to do with a save file and it's still on version 1.1. But basically what happens is um, you get to a certain point and because you've played so much of the other game, it has trouble loading stuff back in and it didn't doesn't delete your save or anything, but... Basically, I walk out of an area and crash. One hundred percent crash to desktop. I've, I thought it was a RAM issue. I, you know, just initially, I was like, maybe it's because I'm running on Ultra 4K, and then I pull up my RAM usage, and I'm at like five gigs of RAM, and yeah. you know, and then it's not a RAM oh, issue. Oh, that You've reminds me. Gigs. I need to bring you your cooler back next week. No, oh, okay. I figured out what was causing the shutdown. It was a vast for some reason. Well, I got rid of a vast long fucking time ago, actually. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. So I dumped it. Yeah, get rid of that fucking shit. It it interfered with games, and I said, nope, go fuck yourself. But um, I so there was a DLC for so I like Monster Train a lot. Uh, Monster Train is the card battler where you got the three levels of train, and then it sets up a roguelike uh, enemy list, so to speak. Yep. And plays kind of like Slay the Spire meets something else. Um, but it's got a new class. Like, oh, Wormkin, I think is what they're called. Wormkin. So they're like dragons, and they've got like uh, crystal power or something like that. It just it adds a modifier that you can use where you play special cards that if a certain amount of charges on each level are there, you can play other more powerful cards. And so it adds a different spin on it. And the thing about Monster Train is you always play two races, so to speak, every single time. So every race has their own abilities. I happen to like something called the Penumbra, which eat little characters to gain abilities. Yeah. Um, you, so you, you play so you, the zombies. 
sort of, they, you spawn these little, they're called morsels, these little like little bitty dudes that are like carrying like food on their head, so to speak, right? And so you eat them and then you gain like plus damage or plus shield or plus health or plus attack or whatever. And so you, as you pull your cards, you come up with combinations and stack them on certain things. Like there's a card, it's a character called the Gorger, and as he eats more, he does damage every time he eats, and then he gains like stat boosts. The fuck did he do? Fart? Um, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, it's a, just the, like... it's the game with the worst cover art with some of the best gameplay I've played. The cover art for Monster Train looks like hot trash. It looks like a mobile game. <laughs> Um, which is initially what turned me off. I'll be honest with you. I listened to a lot of podcasts and their Beastcast was talking about it a lot. I was like, you know what? It's on Game Pass. Let me give it a shot and see what I think. And then Game Pass, unfortunately, doesn't tell you your hours played, but I would venture to say that I'm probably up in the 100-hour range. Um, and our friend, our mutual friend Aaron, me and him play the fuck out of it because I can see on the leaderboards me and him going back and forth. Um, You know, Aaron. Right. Um. But yeah, so that extra set of modifiers is a ten dollar DLC um, that gives you a new class and it gives you a, I think, an extra set of challenge modes and um, extra bosses. But it just, it was absolutely worth the ten dollars. I didn't pay anything for the main game, and it's a probably a permanent Game Pass ex- extension at this point. You would hope so. I'd hope so. If not, I will pay the $20 and buy this game. Okay. Like, it's super no-brainer for me. It's it's the best thing since Slay the Spire. I've, I've thought about it, but... You know... If you like Slay the Spire, Monster Train scratches that itch pretty hard, and you're not... So, Slay the Spire is single characters, right? Right. So, every card is a character with Monster Train. So you play the characters on the places, right? And you're not playing cards for abilities for those characters. So they all have a static damage value, right? So there's no initiative. It, basically, uh, well, there sort of there's some kind of hidden initiative, but basically they always go, and then you go, and you've got modifiers to make it to where you can go first based on the types of things. So you got stealth. You do stealth. You get stealth for so many turns, which means they can't attack you. So they spend their turn, and then you go. They spend their turn again. If you still got stealth, you don't get hit, and then you go again. So they have static damage values for the character cards, but you can pump up their damage based on the types of cards you play. And then you, every level has a certain amount of characters that can fit on every level. And after you beat every boss, you unlock rewards, which are different cards or and a modifier to the thing. So you can have additional cards, additional... Um, basically, uh, health and then extra spots to place people down. And I typically, depending on the class, like if I'm using Penumbra, it's always the amount of spots I can put on or amount of characters I can put on a single floor. Right. Is what I do because the morsels take up spots, but they boost your characters. And I just, I think it's really fun to have those characters on there and then just constantly re- rebuilding the whole team as it goes through each round. Uh, to get to the boss. But yeah, you do like five rounds, and then you got a boss wave, and then it has something called endless mode, which means he attacks until the floor is wiped. So you kind of want to have a decent damage first tier to 
eat away his health, and then you want to have a really heavy damage dealing second tier um, before he gets to the top. And what happens is they get to the fourth level, which is your crystal, and they damage that crystal, and the crystal fires back, but, you know, depending on the modifiers you have, it's not a whole lot of damage, so you want to keep things from getting to the top floor to damage basically your health for your train. Okay, yeah. And the, the train is going through, so the, the monsters are the minions of hell, so you're controlling the minions of hell. And the good guys, so it kind of has the dungeon keeper aspect of you're the bad guys protecting your base from the good guys kind of thing. Okay. Or is that dungeon keeper? Yes, dungeon keeper. Um, or dungeons, if you played that more recently, right. like dungeons two or three. Um, different, same basic concept, completely different games. Um, so you start off in limbo and then you work your way to the center of hell, so to speak, as you're defeating heroes. Sounds great. It's really good. Um, don't let the cover art throw you off. The cover art is horribly representative of the main game. Even the main menu is horribly representative of the main game. Once you start getting playing, like it's just crack. Just watch, watch you literally play it. You can literally hit Alt F4 and it'll save the level that you're on and then you can come right back to it. Okay. I mean, that's that's... That's great. Probably a really good, um, like, you know, tablet it's a, gamer. I've, it's a game that I play on break sometimes. Like, if I'm not walking the dog or, like, the other day when it was, like, really fucking cold for no reason. Um, <laughs> because Oklahoma. Yeah. Snow in April. <laughs> literally snowing outside in, you know, the Mid-South or whatever we are. And I'm just like, well, Lola, we're not taking a walk. Nope. I'm going to. She made you pay for that, though. Yeah, I'm sure she did. <laughs> but, you know, I put in for, did a level in Monster Train, right? Hit Alt F4, came back to work, you know? Um, and if you don't know this, you can Steam Link to Game Pass. You just put it in desktop mode, and then you play whatever's on the desktop. Nice. So it literally could be sitting on my bed or laying down. Sometimes I stretch out on my break. and just like, I'm just going to lay down for a little bit, stretch my legs, pull the tablet out connect a game pass via steam link and then just goof off i've got a tv strapped to my ceiling and a controller on my nightstand i'm good oh you you can <laughs> control it with a controller by the way there you go anyways it's yeah so with odyssey coming out me and rusty decided to do a leap we were getting a little bit burned out on arc and I think Rusty was putting a lot more effort into I am, I was, personally. Yep. Um, and getting to the Titan was not something, the next Titan was not something that looked real possible. And, yeah, it was, yeah, I was watching somebody doing it solo, but still, it wasn't, yeah, it, it was not working out. It required a lot more work than I expected and so I was dicking around and I was thinking about Odyssey and I was like, you know what? I was trying to see if it was releasing in April and that was actually the reason I was going to pick it up. I was like, but I could play Elite and just see if I want to play this again. And then I kind of talked myself into it. I kind of talked you and, into it. And then we started kind of going back and forth and I was like, well, I need to learn how to fly first, right? And so I start flying around, playing with tutorials and you did the same thing. And this was a couple Sundays ago. That's why I said it was a couple weeks ago. It was almost two weeks ago. Right. And because I just remember I got online super fucking early because I'd taken Jess out of the airport. Yep. 
And then I stayed up really fucking late that day because, well, I was trying to learn how to fly again. Yeah. And so we learned how to fly. And I don't remember which one of us discovered it, but we discovered mining. Well, I was watching videos, so... I didn't put as much investment in that, but we discovered, remember, we both discovered kind of simultaneously platinum mining. Yeah, yeah. And then you gave me some videos, and I gave you one that was not as arrogant and cocky as that other guy that you sent me that just didn't explain quite enough. Yeah. And I found the soothing uh, dulcet tones of some woman who plays a lot of elite that really had a handle on how to speak to, I'm coming back to elite, um, don't. Don't over-explain this. Just tell me what to do. Right. And it was a very good guide that showed us how to get started again with mining. And then we found out that mining wasn't so dumb like it used to be. And remember, I was like, I'm just going to go crack my first asteroid. And then I flew around forever and found no crackable asteroids. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to try mining with my Cobra, and which was a bad idea. I really wasn't anything. Uh, there wasn't crackable asteroids when I was playing. And that was yeah. that was the thing. I was like... You could asteroid mine, but basically it was like take a mining laser out there. I didn't know what limpets were, uh, and yeah, you'd 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 shoot the rock and then you'd drive and pick it up with your cargo hold. And I said and that was one is, fragment, and I was like, "That's as tedious as fuck. This is this is terrible." I mean, it was a it was it was awful. Like when I uh, it, I mean the the way that the uh, the game actually introduces you to mining, like back then. The new player experience for uh, for Elite Dangerous was really, really rough. And, you know, it tells you, oh, yeah, all you need is a refinery, uh, some cargo space, and a mining laser. And you go, like, shoot a rock for a second, and then it'll pop off a chunk, and then you open up your cargo scoop and, and then fly you gotta your character – or fly your fucking ship into the you – know, but the you, And then you got to target the rock and then fly into the rock and then hope it's the right rock. And right. then you got to collect set amount of rocks to fill up your bin. And you don't know what the yield is on that rock or any of those things, so you might – Go scoop five rocks, and let me tell you, when you don't know how to fly again, right. that might take you a minute a rock. Because the scoop is underneath your cockpit, so you actually have to fly a little bit over the rock that yeah. is floating in space. It's, and, of course, it's moving. It's it, a moving target. It's not easy. No. And, so, and then somebody showed us in a video that you shoot a prospector limpet into the rock, and that tells you what the rock has, mm -hmm. right? You set filters so that you only get one mineral that you want, which in our case is platinum. And then you uh, use collector limpets, which then go out and then just harvest for you as you mine. It just drops them into the cargo bay. Yeah. And then you just basically just pick and choose what you want. And then there's a website that tells you where mineral deposits are and where the high spelling stations are. And it updates fairly close to real time yes well like within a, an hour i'm actually running the app that updates it now i can so i can show you that if you want but so we found out now this was i have more of a rags to riches story than you do because you started off with a python i mean yes yeah i i, I didn't have anything bigger than a vulture yeah i, I had a type six 
I spent a lot of time actually getting the like what is it fifty million or sixty million it takes uh, it takes for the we, Python. We both dis- we were having this conversation. So being rusty before this, right? We both had close to four hundred hours in Elite, right? Somewhere in there, yeah. And over the entire lifetime of that, probably made a hundred million, maybe total. I made. I made somewhere close to two hundred million, but that was because I was doing space trucking in my little Type Seven. Well, so. yeah, and your little Type Seven. I didn't even have a, t- I had a Type Six. <laughs> that was my cargo vessel because it costs like two million, right? Right. And then I had an engine. I had some engineered good ships, right? Like I got to a point, I was like, I'm never going to make that kind of money, right? And so I went and outfitted and engineered the smaller ships, and took them out on combat missions and challenged myself at that time i was just like i'm gonna up my rep with the federation and i'm going to go um pirate hunting for them right and i did a whole bunch of pirate bounties on stuff that yeah. was a vulture or smaller basically and got pretty good at it with a vulture and it was the biggest ship i had was well i mean it was the best fighting ship i had was a vulture it's still pretty good yeah but 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 um so, yeah, you started off with a Python, and we kind of figured out how to mine. You got to about $55 million an hour, right? It was it was, it was kind well, of Well, when you were getting started, learning. when yeah. you got started, it was about $20 million an hour. Yeah. It because was... we didn't understand a lot of the different methods of mining and all that other stuff. And then the thing that's crazier about this is I had a killback and a Type 6. And because the Type 6 had such shit heart points... I tried mining with that, came back with a haul of 15 million after three hours of mining and said, fuck this, I'm going to try my keelback. The keelback has a little bit less space, but better hard points. So it's got two mediums and two smalls. Yeah. Fitted it with mining lasers and then, you know. Went to town. Went to town and started getting about 20 million an hour. Uh, No, 20 million every hour and a half because of the travel time and it's... I had decent FSDs, but not great, right? Right. Went to a Type 7 as soon as I could, which was the next biggest ship, which actually has a pretty damn big cargo hold. Yep. But suffers from jump distance, and power distribution. It's a brick. And doesn't fly real well. And it's also like to mine a rock takes me five minutes. Because it's four small hard points. It's also like... And I can't... Without engineering, I couldn't get a good power distributor to... Right. It was... You'd get it down 25%, then wait for your lasers to recharge. Get down another 25%, Uh, which is about, again, five minutes to mine a rock, plus then collecting everything. And then not understanding, like, I need to shoot rocks with a higher amount of platinum in them, so I don't spend a whole bunch of time collecting little bitty chunks. Right. And then, finally... Got the Python and sold the Type 7. I was like, fuck you, Type 7. Yeah, fuck you, guy. Um, if I go ever go space trucking, I might use you. But at this point, I can afford a Type 9. Right. I'm, so, oh, yeah. not going to have to ever go back to a Type 7. Well, I sold my Type 7. <laughs> so, I, I very promptly sold it. I short For a short amount of time, I was like, this is the biggest ship I've ever owned. Maybe I'll customize it. And I looked at the colors. I was like, well, there's not a lot of selection here because not a lot of people use it. Right. Nope. Um. So then got my Python. Oh, that yeah. was the big game changer. Oh, yeah. And then started figuring out loadouts and builds for it. And the Python can hold just a hair less than the Type 7. 192, if you but if you set it up right. But the thing about it is the Python 
gets there much faster, mines everything way faster, is more maneuverable, and I mean, looks way more badass. I mean, and could be turned into a fighting ship if you want it to. So it could be a site and could actually survive yield random combat situation. Yeah, kind well, of. I mean, if you have mining lasers on, you basically have a fucking you know a wet noodle to beat things with. So the thing, true. the thing about it is though. Um, I think Rusty, you started the mining missiles a little bit I, more. I did a lot more mining. Like I did laser mining f- for uh, for platinum early on, and I was getting uh, about fifty five million uh, a run. It took me about an hour to fill up. Uh, it was still slow, and I was doing other things at the same time. It was basically kind of like fairly I've slow. made more money this week in this game. Mm-hmm. Than I have in 400 hours. I've multiplied that multiple times. I've made half a million in, in a week of casual play. Half a billion. Half a billion. Half a billion. Right. Rusty's a... made a billion because he's been doing almost nothing but mining. But I've been doing engineering and trying to unlock rep stuff too. I, yeah. And I've also been playing some combat because I, I also bought new ships. Right. That's that's where my money's going. I still have $150 million. I've also completely kitted out the the python with class a everything and engineered everything at least through level three like literally everything that i could engineer aside from mining lasers and limpets because that's 21 million light years away or twenty-one thousand light years away um is engineered power capacitors thrusters um my fucking uh fsd my shield generator like everything is fucking engineered i only have two things engineered on my Python, and that is the frameshift drive and the power distributor, and that and I, was all I needed. Well, so my story with my Python is that's originally going to also be my combat ship. Uh-huh. So I was setting it up now that I have lower, smaller shields to give me more cargo space, basically. Um, so if I flip it to combat, obviously I'm going to take out a cargo bay and put shields in there. Um, but... That was the other reason I was kitting it out. So in between all this gameplay, I was like, get a good cushion of money and then go play around with some engineering. And like I said, FSD was a game changer because what happened is I would spend 30 to 40 minutes traveling there where you were spending 10 or less or less. I was like, uh, I need to, I need to figure this yeah, he out. He was doing like 15 jumps where I was doing like six, uh, 22 jumps, 22 jumps where I was doing six. Uh, so once I got everything fixed, now I'm on that level where it's most of the selling ports, if it's within 150 light years, basically of it's the, like seven jumps. Yeah. It's, it's like nothing. It's right. like fuel scoop on one star and jump the rest of the way. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've figured out, like, once I figured out that I was making a decent amount of money, like, more money than I had ever actually even considered or dreamed of trading or fucking, like, getting from, you know, well, from combat. trade is the, like, there are certain people, for a certain amount of time, right? There mm-hmm. was probably about two weeks that I decided I want to be a space trucker and listen to podcasts. And I was okay with that in my Type 6 and my killback because that... I even got to a point, again, I resolved myself that I was never going to make enough money to get great ships. Right. And so I had a kill back with a crew member that would be my fighter pilot. And I would kind of personally let myself get interdicted because I had engineered weapons on my kill back on my cargo ship. And yeah. then I got really good at flight assist off on that thing so I could fly it reasonably well. 
and take out everything up to a vulture with my killback and my NPC fighter dude. Yeah. And then I, I just didn't think beyond that. And at the time, I don't know that there was the kind of guides or the mining was super boring, right? Um, trading was kind of the way to make money at that point or like going into high intensity combat zones for specific bounties, right? Yeah. And all that stuff was just way beyond where I was at. And now I'm at a point where like I almost had to realign my goals. I made money so quick and upgraded stuff so fast. Like I'm just like class A, class A, class A, class A, class A, class A, class A. Okay, I'm good. Right. I was dicking around. I was showing Jason something, right? And, and, I kind of I was being really loose with myself and and died in my challenger. And I was like six million to to my insurance. Okay, what, what's six million? What's six million? That's like you <laughs> and know. that used to be like oh fuck man that would hurt because I only ever had like thirty. No, I didn't have thirty when I turned the game on. I was at fifteen million dollars. Yeah, yeah. I barely had bucks. I barely had enough to retrofit my kill back to mine. I, when I started, or when I, when I booted up the game again, I came back and it was, I had like uh, 55 million or some shit, right? I basically had spent everything that I had and sold nearly everything that I had to be able to buy the Python uh, and put basic stuff in it. And have you, have you looked to see now, like how much it sells for? I mean, my Python sells for 126 million right now. I, I, it probably sells for about the same. I mean, I've got A rated stuff in, in there, and it's, I've basically been in the Python since I started playing the game. And only today did I like go find my Asp Explorer and re, you know, refit that for, you know, for different well, things. You know, there's some things that are the really changed the game. So engineering's way easier. I think it, I feel like it requires less materials than it did. And it feels a little bit less random. It's well, the first implementation of engineers was like, that had this weird slot machine, tiny bars, you know, you know, like, you know, you ba- it basically rolled the dice on the roll it was going to give you. And it would, it would randomize every bit of the engineered part, and now it is basically more like a progress bar where you engineer it and it gives you a percentage, and then the next time you engineer it, it gives you more of that same percentage and st- and so on. So you just um, get it to the max percentage or move to the next level, and right. depending on what mats you have, like you can go so far. Right. So it's 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 easier to do. And the mats that you are picking up in space count as three units instead of one. Yeah. And it used to be just one. I don't ever remember being able to pin a blueprint. So, like, you can do an experimental effect, but you can also pin a blueprint, right? So I pinned the FSD drive because I figured that was the most crucial one for me to pin. And now if I buy a new ship, I know that I can engineer it to all the way up to level five uh, if I could find all the mats and then... You know, that's a conversation for a separate time. But right. I know that I have all the mats through level three engineered FSD, no matter what I'm doing, and can just pick up a ship, put that on there, class A, and then run with it. I mean, things like EDDB.io were really new when we were playing last. And I feel like that has gotten so good. You're just like, okay, what what do I need? Oh, I need a class 6A thruster. Where's that at? Okay, well, that's one jump away. I'll go get that real quick. There's a lot of really good tools that are uh, that were put together, uh, and there, you know, the 
you know, basically the, the game does not have a live market that you can access outside of the game. And to be able to see what the markets have, the tools in the game suck for it. Uh, so you can't really tell what what station is selling, you know, or buying something for. It just takes – you have to actually jump to that location and, at, and actually look. So – but the tools take some, a lot of that guesswork out. So now it's just like, okay, what's selling high right now? Right. And those those tools are uh, – the the data is actually uh, saved to your computer every time you go to a uh, uh, go to a station. Uh, there's a file that actually shows what the commodity price is that's saved to your computer. And there's a program that reads that file and uploads it to – uh, uploads it to these databases so that it can keep the prices uh, up to date. And I, I set that up on my computer. It's really light. It just, you know, runs in the background. Uh, and it collects the data every time I go to a station and, you know, uploads that so that I get. So if I'm doing the platinum runs, for instance, and, you know, the the station that I'm selling to isn't as high as it said on the website, it will update it and then I can go back into that website, hit refresh, and it'll give me the next highest. Well, the crazy thing is now that we've kind of figured this out, right? Like I do want to plant, I may set a place, uh, I dicked around with a little bit of core hunting earlier and decided that that's, while it's really cool, um, it takes a while to find the right rock. Yeah. So, and it's not nearly as consistent as the laser mining and the laser mining is pretty low impact. But the way I decided I'm going to play is I'm going to always keep myself at a cushion of where I want to be money-wise and then just go do the things I want to do and then go back to mining if I get a little too low on my cash. I have and low for me is $100 million. I have a billion liquid ads, uh, a, a billion and a quarter now of liquid what, cash. What are you going to do besides shoot rocks with lasers now? So that's where I I picked up the Asp Explorer. I already had the Asp from uh from my exploration. That's how I was making large amounts of money over a long fucking period of time, but I mean, that's been rebalanced. You get more mo- uh, more money for exploration now. You uh, still going to run from combat? I mean, I always run I always run from combat. Uh, basically combat's the the you're not going to go Thargoid hunting with me? We're going to leave the man's work to Jason? I am going to actually have a uh, a Thargoid ship. I mean, a, th- a Thargoid hunting ship, but I'm going to get my engineers unlocked first. Um, um, well, and that's, I, I keep saying, and then, so like I was unlocking the engineer for missiles, right? You know how long that took me? An hour and a half. Yeah, it, t- it doesn't take very long. Like you needed Blue Mafia rep. And I picked a couple of missions for scanning stations, and I didn't understand how to do that. And then I looked something up that said you can scan these with your ship. You just you might get blown up. That's actually how I did get blown up. But it took two of those plus two data runs for me to get my rep to friendly because yeah. I took two quote unquote dangerous ship or missions for the ship the station scanning on planet. And then I figured out I could do it in my ship instead of my SCV or SRV, SCV's uh, StarCraft. Um, <laughs> I mean, he had to kiss the dang objective Yeah, I just the nose of his ship. I just didn't realize how much damage the orbital lasers were doing to me. Yeah. Um, so those are really powerful, by the way. Mm, yeah. But 
Um, I was also showing him, so like I got a combat ship and it's also something that can be used for Thargoid hunting, which is the Challenger. Or the Chieftain. No, I got the Challenger. Oh, you got the Challenger. The Challenger's got better hard points. Okay. Um, Chieftain's a little bit, a little bit more nimble, but I will show, like I showed Jason, the nimbleness of the Challenger to me is on par with a Viper Mark III. Like it can do cartwheels. Like it's just so, like I'm getting behind stuff without even turning off flight assist. And you can just stay behind things. And I know it's not the optimal build. I was telling Jason, I was like, so you got to put real, to do the quote unquote max build on this, you need like three rail guns. And then um, I'm trying to remember, the other one is an engineered gun. Or like three Gauss cannons and three like Cyto laser things, which are guardian weapons for killing Thargoids. But you can also get by with a large flat cannon with double shot, which is what I got right now. Um, three beam lasers. Uh, He's running around with a space shotgun. Two space multi, shotguns. Two multis, and then I'm working on a pack hound, which is the other thing I'm going to put on there. And I will tell you that I took down an anaconda on my lunch break um, with this thing. Yeah. And just not a whole lot of effort, to be honest with you. Like, it just, it flies really good. I'm really, really having fun with it. Engineered weapons makes a big difference. Um, it That took me, like, two hours to get all that stuff. And now when you the engineered FSDs, you're talking about 15-minute trip to this engineer, 15-minute trip to this engineer, or less, Right. Yeah. Like most of the time I'm spending is in system flying to it and landing on the planet. Yeah. Five minutes is the jumps. Yeah, it's it takes a little bit a uh, little bit of time. What I'm doing, I had uh, engineers were new and engineers were introduced with horizons. And I was playing I, I started playing Elite Dangerous again for a very short period of time, like maybe a couple weeks. Uh, right around when Horizons came out, because everybody was like, oh, you can land on planets now, and that, this is a thing. And then engineers are a thing, and they were even, they were even worse back then than they are now. I remember spending as, a week farming materials to get some basic rolls. Right. It was, and it was, you could do like maybe a couple rolls, and that's basically what I've got right now is the old engineered shit. If I was to go re-roll my, you know, uh, my FSD right now, I would be able to get another 10% out of my FSD boost. It it, it really is like And a for big those that you don't know, because that reduces the amount of jumps, it's very multiplicative. So it's not – 10% doesn't mean 10% faster. 10% could be the difference between 15 minutes and like five. Right. I mean that's – it's a pretty big it's a pretty big difference so i've got the old engineered shit in you know in my ships right now and what i found is after i spent a week and a half or so uh making all the uh all the space bucks and you know in the asteroids i saw more asteroids in the last fucking week and a half than i'd ever seen in this game um but uh that got me up to over a billion well, over a billion, you can buy any ship and fully outfit it probably about five times. Um, so you're going to get a Corvette? Well, that requires some rank, I think. So what I'm going to do is, well, I'm I'm out right now in my Asp Explorer and I am collecting materials for, uh, for the engineers. And I'm going to go and unlock all of the engineers that I didn't unlock. Like, 
I only had Felicity Farseer, which is basically the first engineer that you, uh, you're introduced to. And luckily she has the FSD boost. Um, but I haven't really worked on any, any of the engineers outside of her. So I have a lot of un, uh, unlocks to do. And, uh, and I don't have a whole lot of materials to do any of it. So I've been spending time actually just, you know, getting the materials that I need uh, to do it. There's a lot of new systems that I uh, weren't in the game the last time I checked or last time I had played. So material traders and things like that where you can kind of trade things, you know, around and get the materials that you need. Um, that was – it's – it's uh it's it's different enough right now that it's it's actually engaging me and I've got goals. I, the goals are easy to set. Like I had a moment the other day I was like, what do I I made too much money too fast. And I was like, I thought Is this would there take me such longer. A thing? Oh no. no, there's not enough money in the world, man. I mean I honestly but if I if I start mainlining this game, like if this is the if this is going to be the game of the summer, because you know how I am, right around summertime where all the fucking like releases dip down. Well, Nier um, just came out today. I know, but that I already looked into it. Um, Near Replicant might be a, a game, but I'm going to give it a little. Uh, I'm going to give it a second on PC. Um, what's um, what ne- when it ends up happening is the release schedule kind of dips in the summertime and then it picks up in the fall. Well, summertime games in the past have been an MMO of some sort. Like I played Final Fantasy XIV for the last, what, two years during the summertime. Uh, and you are tired of hearing about Final Fantasy XIV because you give me the eye roll and the, oh my God, you're playing an MMO fucking look every goddamn well, time. Elite- um Elite's different enough, and I mean, we've got an expansion coming up here in less than a month. Yeah. So that's that's what sparked it, but I would say right now is a great time to get into it. Yeah, just to and relearn your fucking, like, you Even know, the tutorial speech. shit, like, they've got a full tutorial that gives you a bit the basics, the basic basics of everything. Right. And then you've got specific tutorials that some are a little bit outdated. Well, they're the original, uh, those are the original tutorials. The, the first tutorial basically gives you... You know, here's a ship. Here's how you do your basic maneuvers with your ship. Fly through this obstacle course, uh, and uh, and target certain things, and I think shoots things. It doesn't even give you the opportunity to land by yourself, which is kind of a key thing. You kind of need to learn how to land. Yeah, but um, hyperdrive cruise assist was not a thing last right. time I played. Yeah, those those are all things that are uh, are. They come standard in the fucking new I, ships now. Um, but if I could give anybody some advice, so Miner's Tool, absolute must, I think, and it's super easy to use. It's a third party web, third party website, very basic, um, but it just basically tells you where to go to mine shit. So go there. Yeah, but Miner's Tool, super good. But you could. Here's the thing, I think in a day. I if a day of hardcore play, mm-hmm. I could get myself from Sidewinder to Python. Oh, easy. There's, there's, there's even without following the rags to riches guide, I think I could. The um, like as soon as you could get a Type Six, which is fairly early, you could do some bounty hunting missions. You could do just dick around and just make sure you're picking up cargo that sells for a decent amount. 
You could go from Sidewinder to Cobra really quick. Cobra has a decent sized bay for that size of ship, right? And it's fast. You could do smuggling missions with that and make money, or you could do cargo hauls and make money. And you could get to 2 million inside a pretty short amount of time. Get your Type 6, put mining lasers on it, and then struggle bust your way through making some cash in an asteroid field. Yeah. Then move to the Type 7 and the Python all within a day, or maybe a little bit more, depending on your patience. Or you could just log into your old account and be be in a Python. Uh, But for the most part, there's a lot of people, I think, that were in my (laughs) position. and Like Jason played a shitload of hours to get to that point, right? And I probably could have had it. Like, if I sold everything that I had, mm-hmm. I could have gotten a Python right off the But I didn't want to. Like, Viper Mark IV was kind of hard for me to find. Cobra Mark IV was really hard for me to find. Um, you know, like, there's some stuff in there. Like, the killback was kind of hard for me to find at that point. It's probably a lot easier now. But, like, like I said, EDDB.io wasn't much of a thing last time I played. So, like, it was... I mean, searching was... the internet for like who sells killbacks and then figuring out where I am at, and then plotting random courses until one seemed like it wasn't going to take me all day to get there. Or you could just get elite in trading and go to uh, Shinrara Desra and uh, so, that uh, Jameson Memorial uh, space station sells every ship and every module at a 10% discount. Or you could just, I don't even, I rep grounded and now I had, I had access to soul before you did. Well, I mean, a soul permit just lets you go to fucking earth. Jameson Memorial is the only place that, you know, only, only station in the game that sells literally every ship and every module. You can buy and fit anything you want at that station. That is the whole point of that station is to give people who have kind of struggled through a place to actually, you know, to home base out of. And that is a very popular home base because you can build anything you want from there. And then you can take that out and go engineer it. Um, But big point is, is I think there's been some pretty significant changes with Elite to the point where, like I said, asteroid used to, asteroid mining used to suck. Yeah. it's And now it's kind of fun. And kind of relaxing. I spent hours cracking asteroids. You probably spent about 40 hours doing that. I, I Well, I got the last 450 million or so uh, doing core mining, uh, which is finding a, a, a special type of asteroid, setting up seismic charges on fault lines in that asteroid and cracking it open. Uh, but you need... You have to get your flight legs under you before you do start doing stuff uh, like that. Yeah. And I, at that point, I figured I was, you know, a fairly decent at flying. So I went out and I did that for, I mean, they weren't fast runs. They were not optimized, but I was doing it kind of like passively. Uh, and I just sat in a fucking asteroid field until I filled it up. Sometimes it was like three hours. Sometimes it was four uh, I wasn't timing myself or anything like that, but whenever I went to go sell something, it was 155 million each time. Uh, and, and I've got my 55 million dollar platinum run down to just a hair over an hour. Right, and this this and was, that's even kind of casual playing because you know Lola's a thing, and 
She's going to let me know when she wants attention, and sometimes i got to put down the controller and dick around with her. That's exactly what she's doing to me right now, actually. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to chew on your hand until you pet, out, uh, pet me. So we're going to take a break so that we can uh, we can deal with the dog, and uh, we'll be right back. So I can get up and walk and wake up. Yeah, he was over there fucking almost snoozing. All right, we'll be back. I do not wear clothing that accentuates my ass. And we're back. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And we've got some things and stuff to talk about. Um, I want to lead with something. Sorry. Squeeze one out. You're right. Um, I wanted to lead with something because I thought it was kind of, I feel like it's eye-opening, right? So the most popular thing to hate this winter was uh, cyberpunk, right? I guess, yeah. Um, I mean, it was pretty popular to hate. It was pretty popular to hate. Do you know how many copies they actually refunded? Um, a significant number? Uh, not even close to a significant number. Really? Uh, let's just put this in perspective. Cyberpunk sold 13.7 million copies. Right. In 2020. Right. They refunded 30,000. What, wait, what? 30,000. Of thirteen point seven million. So is that over all platforms, or is that di- just directly from them? That's over everything. That's over all platforms. Like even so thirty thousand. And... Thirty thousand is three percent of one million. Of thirteen million, it's less. Less than less than a percentage. Less than point three of one percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so that this here's the thing. And this is the thing about the gamer community that drives me batshit nuts. You get one person that says, oh, this oh thing's God. fucked. It's shit. It's oh shit. God. Everything sucks about it. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Bad press. Right? And then gaming journalism is like, oh, this is a hot button thing yeah. for social media. And then and then they follow press. that, right? And then it buff, you know, and then it snowballs, right? And then- Two every- hundredths of a percent. Okay. Okay. Two hundredths. This guy of one percent. This guy has the calculator out. So I do. <laughs> that being said, right? So that was actually the people that were mad enough to refund it, right? That's that's where we're at. And what happens is there's a whole bunch of people that don't actually buy it, right? That just echo the comments and echo the sentiment, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes there's some justification to some of that, like Fallout seventy six when it first came out. Yeah. Um, until they had the settlers thing um i would say it's highly worth playing right now if you have any interest whatsoever since it's basically free on game pass but um i just i use that because that goes to show you that's where we were really at that's the people that were that pissed off that's where we're really at i mean yeah did it have problems yes Yes. were those problems significant enough for it to pull it out of our game of the year discussion no no but it did pull it out of every major publications game of the year discussion well because they're because they didn't want black of they didn't want to the the fallout of you know of you know basically saying oh it was a good game after running fucking you know these things saying oh well this game has you know is is shit because of the performance on fucking last gen consoles for people that rely (laughs) on numbers it's a really 
really weak willed thing to just follow the like count on social media. Yeah, it's a- and it drives me nuts uh-huh. when I see that kind of stuff, right? You'll see you'll see these publications see the Reddit thread rant of two hundred members and right. take that to an audience of ten million people. Right. And it doesn't accurately reflect everything. It's just this is where gaming journalism just sucks. Well, I mean, yeah, there's it's not just gaming journalism. But it either. just it was irritating to listen to a lot of the podcasts that make money. Mm-hmm. Just echo echo Reddit complaints. Well and echo essentially stuff that didn't matter that much. And then I'd listen to the people that right, that we tend to associate with, right? That had we talk about the complaints of things on early essentially early builds, right? The one point oh, one point two. Right. Which were bugs, right? My dick was flopping all over the place. Um, sometimes my guy would stand in his car as they go under bridges. Right, right, yeah. Um, but not to the level of oblivion when it launched. Oh, my God. But, that so, bug, dude. Yeah. So, like, you know, um, and I wasn't playing it on the worst platform to play it on either. No, you were playing it on PC. I mean, I was playing it on PC with a medium-level card that has been easily accessible for five years except for just right now. Right. Um, so on medium to high settings, right? So like it just, that's the part the press plays in it, but to say that CD project is done and then see that there were only 30,000 refunded, you guys are fucking stupid. Right. Well, there's, this is, this is what you get for echoing Reddit threads and echoing the people that like to do the cowardly thing and just follow along with all the hate. I don't understand why people like to just hate things, but they do. It's, uh, they're, they're, it's easy. It's a really easy, weak-willed way of like getting some kind of internet popularity, I guess. Because nobody reads the you know the the comment threads that say, "Well, this game is actually fairly decent." Uh, sure, it has you know has its you know it has its issues, but they're easily fixed. And people like I to hate po- my... people like to hate popular stuff too. Yeah. And it's and that's the I, thing. I mean that's the mindset I was in when I was really into indie rock, but. Like, I've kind of gotten beyond that to where I can like popular things. Sans, Nickelback, and Dave Matthews. I was about to say. I was about There's to say. Nickelback and Dave Matthews have a special gonna, place in hell for me. I was going to catch you on it, but uh, but you caught yourself. Um, but, you know, <laughs> just that's what I'm saying. Like, it's this okay. is how you remind me. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a photograph. <laughs> Let's uh, not get this stuck in my head <laughs> while I'm trying to go to bed later. But uh, I, what the point I'm trying to make is don't always let – uh, <laughs> This is the part – you completely threw me off. Yep. <laughs> my point's done. Right. No, it's – you know, the people who uh, go – you know, they just – Throw the you know all the negative comments out there. The negative comments get you know get more press coverage than the people that are say that say oh the game is half you know halfway decent, and that's that's my my thing was I played through the game all the way through. It had its moments that needed to be worked on, but it was you know all in all it was a decent game. It wasn't necessarily totally broken for me. Sure, I crashed a few times, but basically that is. The launch expect you know I expect that from any big game that launches. I mean, Outriders was also kind of a buggy mess for the first you know first week and a half, two weeks because you know you could lose all of your fucking inventory. It crashed to desktop randomly. The fucking servers went down. You know these these are all things that happen within a launch window 
you know, of say like the first couple weeks and most of those things get addressed. What one – if there was one negative thing that I could say uh, about the uh, the situation, how CD Projekt Red is handling it is that it doesn't seem like they – you know, I mean they put out patches but it took long time to actually put those out. Um, and that was probably one thing that they could do better is just – I mean this is also then the – yeah, but it was also part of that issue was them listening to the dipshits on the internet that were throwing out depth threats about when it was going to come out and then just releasing it. Right. You know, so, so like that part's also on you, internet. Right. You know, I we have always, you know, well, have, we've recently been more vocal about take the time it needs to, you know, to finish. If the game is set to release and you come out uh, and the developer comes out and says it's not ready, it's going to take another month or two, give them the extra month or two because ultimately once you do get your hands on that game, you're going to be happier about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that being said, that was a thing that was – when I saw that, it was so gratifying to show numbers behind it. Yeah. Because I – it's just like I predicted, right? Like once I got past, you know, the I'm just going to follow. Literally, everybody says mindset from my early 20s. Like it's it's so freeing to just like things. <laughs> right. Just uh, I don't care. I mean, I would much rather have a game in my hands, you know, especially if it's a dead time. But I mean, honestly, there was plenty of games to play at that particular moment. It's, you know, that was coming out, you know. In the the fall, or initially it was going to come out in the fall, where there was plenty of games to have, and then it eventually came out in December, uh, where there was still plenty of game uh, games to play. So that wasn't actually like chomping at the bit for, you know, for the uh, for the release for that. I was just like, let it let it happen. Um, but ultimately, I mean. Just developers stop listening to the internet. You know, focus on your work. That's basically the you know, moral of the story. Yeah, and it's funny. I had somebody. So I've, I'm not going to drop his name, but I've got a really long time friend of mine that initially auditioned for my old punk band and played with us for a couple of weeks until he decided that punk wasn't really his thing. He's kind of more of a, a metal drummer. Okay. And it's taken him 20 years to really get into a professional style project. So he's our age now. And is, you know, recording with major musicians. Right. And we were getting into that discussion. He's like, yeah, so I started this new project outside of my old band that had a decent following. And, like, now, like, I'm afraid because I'm not, like, a metalhead anymore as much as I used to be. And I'm writing, like, more hard rock stuff that people aren't going to like it as much. And I was like, yeah. Here's the thing, dude. Once you start following the internet for what they expect you to do, then it's not honest music anymore. Nope. You just need to make what you want to do. You want to throw violins on that bitch, then you just throw some violins on that bitch because that's what you've been wanting to do for a long time. Dude. So just do what you want to do. Fucking throwing a track out there that has something random like that in it actually, in you know, that grabs my attention more than just say, lay a standard fucking track, right? Yeah, and just that's, but that was you know the struggle he was going through, and I was trying to kind of compare it to like what we go through listening to with game developers. It's like you know, yeah. I do the podcast thing. That's something we see all the time. Like people listen to the community so much that the quality of the game goes down to just this core set of people that have core issues that the vast majority don't experience or 
like if Elite was still the way it was, yeah, I thought it's wasn't a good game when it came out. Well, I mean, there's there's a good yeah, give and take. Sure, I mean, I understand you know that point, but you also do need to uh, to take into account feedback. And just to you know to bring up this point for Elite, uh, I mean, the Odyssey Alpha has been out, you know, has been kind of going through phases. And has been in uh, some players' hands to actually, you know, check some of the stuff out. There's been stuff that's come back like, what do I do while I'm waiting in transit, right? Well, it's it's not that. There was this one thing is uh, was uh, a pretty big deal. So uh, just to, to preface, Odyssey allows your character to actually get out on his two feet and walk around on a planet, which is new for, uh, for Elite Dangerous. You've always been in a ship or a vehicle of some sort. Uh, and one of the activities that you do while you're walking around on a planet is scanning plants. Uh, and the initial implementation of that was you take a scanner, you point it at a plant, and then it comes up with a little spinny mini game that's kind of like a quick time event where you have to press the trigger at a specific point. And if you do, you have to go through three levels of progressing speed of this spinning ring uh, and kind of match up the, you know, the stuff. Basically, when they were doing it on a live stream, the developer himself spent fucking way more time than he expected to actually finish the mini game. Whereas, like the the Twitch chat at that time was like, "Oh my god, this mini game sucks," and that it got into players' hands, and that was confirmed. Basically, everybody thought that that mini game sucked. They took feedback from that and saying, okay, well, the idea is sound, but the implementation of the minigame was not great. So we're going to remove the minigame, but still kind of keep the rings so it shows like it's doing a a scan. And, uh, you know, those are little bits of things that you can take feedback from that doesn't necessarily change the the outcome, but improves the, you know, experience. I can understand that, but the blanket statement of going and saying you put a read release date for September, you know, September 12th, it's now September 13th and the game's not out yet and you're pushing it back. We want the game right now, you know, without understanding what's going on behind the scenes and what, what needs to be changed. That is – that's the toxic th- you know, part of it. Well, and I don't think that people understand there's a budget behind a release on how long people can put hours into things before they run out of money. Right. And so like to give an example, I think Outriders was hyped up and they'd get a lot of promotion, but it's still a fairly small team versus a lot of these other size teams. Like People Can Fly is not a huge studio. No, but I mean, and so like we're they're at a point right now where they did make enough money, so now there's thoughts about what they do now with the end game, right? Whereas when they implemented before, they're like, okay, we hope that this breaks budget and that we get enough, right? It got on Game Pass, not knowing where it was going to be, still landed kind of in a mixed area, right? Based on feedback, but like I think in general, we had a good time with it. Like I'm, me and Matt are going to still play it some, but like it's just. Now they understand where their budget's at. Now they can continue to implement some more at this point now that they've actually sold the game and had enough people buy it. Yeah, I mean, I I can actually, uh, I played through that game one and a half times, basically going through the, you know, the campaign. It was workable. It had, uh, it, it had a couple issues, but it was workable. 
I gave, you know, gave some feedback where I felt like the end game was not necessarily what I expected and I wanted a little bit more from the bosses. Um, but it's not a horrible game. So giving the feedback of that and then my voice being in a sea of thousands of other voices saying this game shit blah, 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 or whatever, uh, or the end game isn't worth, you know, worth a dick. Uh, it just, you know, what the developer does with that makes a big, big difference. So how they're listening and what they're listening to needs to be feedback instead of complaints. So one other thing about feedback in a studio that does a lot of work on their game is Fat Shark. Fat Shark is the developer of Vermintide and Vermintide 2. Oh my gosh. There is a new game mode out for the Chaos area. Yeah. Um, where there are 15 new locations laid out um, that are laid out differently for every single run. Oh boy. So there's a now a roguelike experience to Vermintide for 15 different areas. Oh, my which is God. like half as big as the rest of the game. Oh my God, that's and nuts. that's a free update. I know. I think I just. I, I think I downloaded, I downloaded it. like four gigs the other day. It was wasn't like, four gigs. It was like forty-five gigs. Oh, it I, was huge. But it was a big, big update. I it's, just thought it was really cool, and it's something I'm just like, you know what? I think I kind of want to play that again. It 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 could be a uh, it it could be a break. You know, I could take a break and play that game maybe. Yeah, if we can get TJ to play it, then we can get three. Maybe get Jason on it since it's six dollars on Steam. I mean, maybe. Yeah, and you only need the base game if you uh, if you're gonna join with us because you can do the DLC maps if you're joining a party with us. So you don't have to buy the DLCs; you just buy the base game for six bucks. Six dollars. Yeah, it's on Steam sale through this weekend. Do it. Um, do it. Which it'll be over by the time you get this posted, but not that hard. Do it. Um, just do it. I was going to say just another random update. Um, you guys know I really like Wasteland 3. I've played it two and a half times. Um, I'm actually thinking about uh, stopping my current game to wait for the DLC to come out. Um, yeah, there's narrative DLC coming out June 3rd. And they've already been implementing pretty big patches to help you. So crafting was never a thing in that game. You collect a lot of junk, and you, they're basically just sellable items is what they are Yeah, to give you money. Um, they're taking that junk and letting you craft different things out of it at this point. I guess that's the new patch that's coming out. Um, and then there's like a super hardcore mode that's coming out. If you do play Wasteland 3, um, if you play strategy games regularly, I recommend the not the very hardest setting, but the one right down from that. If you're unsure of that, at least play it on hard. Easy's too easy. You wipe everything out. Um, the easy was set for, for your for your grandpa. So, well, I'm kind of a grandpa. I'm just saying it's normal is too easy in my opinion. Okay, well, I'll play it on normal then. Um, because, <laughs> uh, because I, I I couldn't get into that game and I bounced off of it multiple times. It's still on the docket. I'm I'm going to. Well, if play you need a if eventually. you need something kind of battle tech like. Uh, Jason, that's that is a game. Uh, that game, it's not robots, but same basic concepts, um, and a lot more narrative. Uh, way less roguelike. Okay. Um, but yeah. we got so Odyssey comes out what the nineteenth, I think. Yeah. Uh, 
they just gave out a uh, a a release date for it, didn't they? Uh, I want to say it's the nineteenth. God, I don't have the news thing up. My God. I mean, uh, I've got Google. That's uh, basically what I'm, I'm looking for. Gets a May release date. May 19th. Yeah, I've got a good memory. So, yeah. It's actually just, you know, a couple weeks down the road, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, it's a paid expansion, but Horizons was worth it. Um, it's going to cost 40 bucks. Wow. Uh, um, but the thing is, is uh, for for Odyssey, it's, you know, it's the first time that you're going to be able to walk around with, like, legs. They're calling it the, you know, the Internet's calling it the legs expansion because, you know, that. Um, there was a similar update that was, you know, put out for EVE Online, you know, which was called Ambulation, which is basically just a fancy word for walking. Um, and uh, that was not very well received because that game is, well, that game is that game. Um, but I'm hoping that there's a little bit more for this. The initial stuff that I've seen so far for Odyssey looks promising but also kind of raw and I have to wait and see what the final release date or release looks like because I mean it does include like a first person shooter style like combat and mm, it's kind of basic it, from what I looked at so far it being an alpha though it could it could change but there's been a lot of things that have changed but just uh elite's been a a weird concept that I've been coming back to for a long time, and I feel like even if you don't get Odyssey, now it's, I'm looking at footage of a chieftain flying over somebody's head. That looks so cool. Yeah, the, the idea of actually getting out on a space station and walking around uh, is also kind of cool. Um, that provides some issues with my control scheme um, because yes. my current control scheme, I dug out my HOTAS. You'd literally just keep the controller plugged in. Right. I dug out my HOTAS to actually do that. So I'm sitting here thinking, how am I going to control a character with a HOTAS? Or and I'm like, not braining it. So, you know, it's what I'm going to end up having to do is just have my HOTAS, a keyboard and mouse, and a controller sitting on my desk. And right now, it's impossible to move around my desk because I've got two folding tables on either side of my chair. <laughs> that has the hotas. I'm going to, I haven't been looking up like mounts so that I can mount it to the desk. Um, it would save, save space basically is what I'm looking for. Cause two folding tables is kind of like craziness. Uh, but yeah, the amount of controllers that I have specifically for this game is pretty crazy. And I'm nowhere near as, like, dedicated as some people who have, like, full-on, like, triple monitor pods that they get into. Like a flight seat with the fucking HOTAS set up and triple monitors and it's kind of reclined back and fucking – or 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 even better yet, the guys that are fucking sitting there with uh, with VR headsets on, which will happen. I'm going to try it. I don't uh, – it's, it's the coolest thing I've – 
I I do want to get a hotel or a hotel. I want to get a a uh, VR headset really to play elite. Well, I've got the Oculus. It's set up right now. All I need to do is basically boot the game up in VR and change a couple controls on the uh, on the flight stick to be able to do it. Um, once you know, but I'm getting used to where the controls are on the Hotas. Like I'm still having to look at the Hotas every so often. But as soon as I get a feel for where everything is and I can do it without looking, then that is kind of key for being able to do what I need to do in that game. I don't want to have to pull the fucking headset off every so often, which I'll probably still have to do to do like copy and pasting and do third party tools and whatnot. But, um, man, I, I'm, I I will report back my experience with, uh, with VR once, uh, once I get it all set up and actually give it a try. It's, (laughs) I mean, the convenience of being able to look over and, you know, and check the panels in, you know, in the ship without having to have a, you know, a button press. That's all I really want from that. Everything else is going to be just bonus. So doing a mining run, like going out, hitting asteroids, right? Just being able to look over and see what, you know, what I've got for inventory space. Oh. I was able to do it with a controller. I mean, I'm I'm no, doing it I'm, all with a controller, I'm, and I did it with a controller, but I'm just saying it's it's not as the you don't have to go that deep. You can play that game with just a a controller or a keyboard and mouse. You can play the entire game with a keyboard and mouse, but it's like crazy. It's kind of it's way easier to use a controller. Uh, so I mean, it's it's accessible to everybody, but of course the I've only, got a, I've got a, the only benefit of the keyboard and mouse is aiming. Well, yeah, I have to over-engineer everything. You know that. So I already had the Hotas. I didn't actually, you know, play very much with it because I didn't have a comfortable way of putting it anywhere. But now I've got it semi-comfortable where I can actually play for a few hours without getting crazy. But, yeah, that'll be a thing. It'll be a a thing for, you know, for down the line. But – that's is that basically i mean yeah it's a it's a news light week but this week we should have this up by monday which would be the time that you're listening to it um i think we're good yeah all right so jason where can you find us find us at tiltcast.com find us on facebook and twitter.com slash tiltcast our youtube channels youtube.com slash real tiltcast and search for us on itunes and spotify find some friends of the show we've got Cabbage, KBG. Um, Trent's doing his band thing right now, so he might be few and far between on releases. You got For the Love of Gaming. You've got Picking Up the Pixels or Pupcast. Um, you've got NoQuarters.net, BMFCast.com, which I have a t shirt of, and TBGP.tv. We may play Elite Dangerous with them. And with that, it's the end of the show. All right. Peace.